0: Hi there boys and girls out there in radio film school land. how many of you in the states are still living off Thanksgiving Day leftovers? Well I hope you had a wonderful holiday and just a quick reminder that there are two ways you can support the show. One check out our sponsor Song Freedom at songfreedom.com slash radio and use offer code radio for a free standard go level license worth thirty dollars. Also consider becoming a Dare Dreamer FM premium member. For a the price per month of a large gourmet coffee drink, you'll get access to resources that help you run your business and grow in your craft. Videographer contract templates, creative brief templates, work logs for tracking how long it takes you to edit a project, ebooks, and many more. Just head on over to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn more. Lastly, stay tuned after the credits for some sneak peeks at future episodes of the show you won't want to miss. Okay, that's it. Let's get going. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM,
1: the sound of creative expression come on man don't go in there do not go into a crane shot right now you kidding me yeah man i hell yeah this movie's got an inconsistent visual language half the time this just shooting all handheld like your dogma filmmaker that's funny since dogma clearly forbids temporal and geographical alienation oh i love that shot the first time when it was in Nosferatu. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I mean, this is trying to do some homage to the German expressionist some It's a visual medium, man. Enough with this, my dinner with Andre I mean, has this dude even heard of mise en Put some information up in the frame, bitch.
0: That's an excerpt from the Comedy Central Keen Pill sketch Movie Hecklers, where the two comedians play highbrow movie snobs screaming out their armchair criticism for the whole audience to hear. I love this clip for a couple of reasons. First, it subverts the audience expectation that these two black moviegoers, is screaming at the screen, are doing so not to yell out the characters in the movie doing stupid stuff, but to yell out the director of the movie and critique the cinematic merits of his or her choices. This is opposed to the stereotypical way you expect black folk to be yelling on a screen at a theater. The other thing I love about this clip, as a filmmaker and a lover of cinema, is that I appreciate the sort of inside references to classic film technique and cinematic masters. Whoever the director of that make believe movie is, he or she is someone who has studied the masters, albeit they may have been overly enthusiastic in creating a mishmash of techniques. This sketch is a great satirical commentary on the overzealous nature of some students of cinema to so egregiously copy, steal, or quote-unquote borrow from the masters, their work reeks of it. As a comedic piece, it's going to be particularly funny to those of us in the industry who actually went to some kind of film school or have had some kind of formal filmmaking education. I am all too familiar with the nerdy, film geek stereotype this sketch so clearly illustrates. People like this. No 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 now you gotta admit that the steady camp shot in Goodfellas
2: was the mud. The, the basement of the, the restaurant the Copa in New York.
0: That's a scene from the box office Indie Sensation that put Vince Vaughn and John Favreau on the map. Doug Lyman swingers. The characters in the scene definitely fit the industry that's wannabe stereotype.
1: How can you even compare the two, man? Yeah, Tarantino completely buys <coughs> everything from Scorsese. <laughs> He's terrific. Yeah, now, you know what? You gotta admit that did look funny. I heard they
0: did that whole thing for only 10 grand. I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, everybody steals from everybody. That's, that's no that's Let's just get the hell out of here if we want to make this party. Bye, did you catch that line from Ron Livingston's character at the end? Everybody steals from everybody. That's the movies. Today we're going to explore that theme just a wee bit more as we continue our series, Mind Your Masters, Should Filmmakers of Today Study the Work of the Masters from Yesterday? I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School, A Filmmaker's Journey. So, it's been a while since I first broached this topic, so let me take you back to where we first started.
1: There are so many different reasons why you need to study the masters of the past that you know we could talk for four hours and we wouldn't run out of reasons why.
0: That was David Shulman, director of the Seattle Film Institute, commenting in our last Filmmakers Journey episode. David's passionate commentary kicked us off with a discussion that is worth having in any artistic endeavor that has a history as rich as cinema and filmmaking. Should filmmakers today, those of you posting your work on Vimeo, submitting your films to festivals, and looking to be the next Tarantino, Spielberg, or Bigelow, should you take the time to study the works of Hitchcock, Kurosawa, Kubrick, and Bergman? The funny thing is, there was a time when this wouldn't even be a question. If you wanted to learn filmmaking, you had to go to some kind of film school. And if you went to any kind of film school, you learned about the master's. Period. Side note, what's interesting about that comment is that before film school was a thing, the way to really learn filmmaking was to be an apprentice. But even then, as an apprentice, you were studying the master's. The only reason we're even having this conversation is because the state of film education today is so broad and accessible via the internet that a formal film school education is not really needed. Now, as someone who sits on an advisory committee for a film school here in the Seattle area, it's probably blasphemous for me to say something like that. But you know it's true. I know it, you know it, film schools know it. In fact, I see one of my roles in that committee is to help usher them into an era of remaining competitive and relevant in a world where there are literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of hours of free education online.
1: Cinematography, uh, choosing a camera—this is the big guy for most people, and it kind of shouldn't be. I mean, I fall into this category sometimes yes, course, as well we're because we're going to look at really how
3: excited. far we've come in the world of film and video from the very first photographs ever captured. To the beginning see, days one of, the of motion pictures. The advantages of
2: spending 15 seasons shooting the SNL film unit, while also making my own films, is that I've had to learn how to recreate every possible genre and respond you know, to just touch about touch on any all aspects challenge. of filmmaking, from directing to sound to composition, and strong lighting is a huge part of your journey as a filmmaker. The basics of how uh, to light an interview. To make
1: it happen. Easy. As a rule of thumb, if your DP mentions something with a German-sounding name, it means that it's going to be super expensive. It's going to be pretty well made, but more importantly, it's going to give your DP incredible amounts of street cred with other DPs, which is all they care about.
0: That was a series of clips from CreativeLive, Lynda.com, MZ, the Academy of Storytellers, and Rocket Jump Film School. All of them offer free or very inexpensive, high-quality, video-based filmmaking education. So, in part one, we addressed this question, and the consensus was pretty much unanimous. Yes, it would be beneficial for today's filmmakers to study the masters. But you gotta ask yourself, why? What's the point? Do you think photographers today should study the masters of yesterday?
2: Um, I do, because one thing that hasn't changed is, is light. That
0: was a clip for my interview with Julianne Cost, an avid photographer, and more importantly, one of Adobe's leading Photoshop evangelists and instructors. Julianne has a huge following, teaches around the world, and is a published author. I was actually interviewing her for my other podcast, The Solo Creative, but asked her this question as it relates to photographers. As you will see, her answer is 100% applicable to filmmakers.
2: How we light things and how light can tell a story in and of itself, so not only the the quality of light and the direction of light, and how that can help um, hide and reveal different areas of a person, of a landscape, of anything, in order to direct the viewer's attention.
0: So, do you think masters use light in a different way than photographers do now, or, or the way they used it to shape?
2: I don't think I don't think they used it differently. I just think that that like Photoshop, there's different degrees of knowledge of light, and the more we study and and know light better, then we might be able to make more successful f- photographs.
0: The masters had a relationship with light, composition, and editing that we don't today. Because of that, their knowledge is richer and so much more nuanced. You will be surprised at what you learn and how your craft will grow when you study filmmakers who were working with the medium when they didn't have all the bells and whistles you have today. The instant playback, waveform monitors, nonlinear editors, color grading plugins, etc. But here's the challenge. And this is a challenge whether or not you study the masters or you study the work of filmmakers who respect and follow today. It was what was alluded to and satirized in that opening Keane Peel sketch. Inevitably, whenever you study the work of an artist in order to learn, you're going to emulate that artist to some extent. Here's David Shulman again, executive director of the Seattle Film Institute.
1: One reason that comes comes to mind is that, uh, that you're modeling and you see how, how Hitchcock, solves the problem and then you see how other filmmakers solve the problem you know so then you can start thinking to yourself okay in my work you know i have choices you know uh i can you know i you know i can create one mood and solve the problem and i you know and i i have, I have a model for how this has worked with with this filmmaker and i have a different model of how it's worked with another filmmaker it's not like hitchcock is right with cutting to the close-up and altman with the roving camera and just let the audience stumble on it is wrong they're both they're both very viable solutions to various types of problems, but you want to make an intelligent decision about how you do it. Uh, so you so you want to be aware of your choices, and it's and certainly you're going to be a lot more aware of them if you're able to study, you know, if you're able to study alternatives.
0: David's point about modeling the masters is essentially repeated by Zach Elisha if you remember from episode 5 Zacky was my intro to filmmaking professor and founder of the film and television department at De Anza College in Cupertino California, the school where I initially learned the craft
4: it's like any art student um, I say go to a museum and get a sketch bag and look at those images and start drawing, okay um, mm. and a lot of it is going to be copying, there's nothing wrong in, in, in your education of copying the masters. Okay. Um, I don't mean like shot by shot. I'm talking about stylistically. Okay. Um, and the reason why that's important is because.
0: You'll have to wait till we come back from after the break to hear the rest of Zaki's comment. But it holds the key to not only the issue of copying, but also gives insight into this season's broader topic on how to develop a signature style. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right
1: back. Oh, I get it, yeah. I'ma overexpose mm-hmm. the film, mm-hmm. getting a surreal look. Man, this. Can we just go? Come on, I mean, They're actually making good points. Hey, has this guy watched too much Quentin Tarantino or what? Sir, we're gonna need you to lower your voice. Too much talking, okay?
0: I would like to take this time to thank all of you who have left a review on iTunes, emailed me, or even left a voicemail message on our homepage. It really means a lot when we hear from our audience about what the show means to them. Here's an email I got from Rodrigo Dos Reyes in Brazil. Hey Ron, how are you doing? I've been listening to your podcast, Radio Film School, for a while, and it's definitely one of the best, regarding to the cinematography stuff. It's so well done. The songs that you've been using, the quality of the voices, the high-level topics that you guys are talking about, everything is so great that I feel like listening to it the whole night. The last podcast with Adam Forgironi was one of the greatest so far. You guys were so connected, your minds were so close, that every single word sounded amazing. I just want you to know that you've been doing an awesome job, man. Thank you so much for doing that. Regards from Brazil. Wow, thank you, Rodrigo. Or should I say, Obrigado. That was really touching. No, really, that, that was that was moving.
5: Now I'm getting emotional. I'm a little verklempt. No,
0: seriously. Um, it really means a lot when you guys send me emails like that and letters like that. And uh, so much hard work goes into making a podcast like this. It means a lot when I get to hear from you and you tell me how it makes you feel. Actually, Rodrigo mentioned how much he loved the songs you've been using. That is particularly meaningful to me because we do spend a freaking long amount of time picking songs. Think about all the time you spend picking just the right song for all the videos that you make. I do that every week for this show. We actually got a voicemail from a listener regarding song usage, and specifically the song freedom usage of songs and podcasts. Hey, Ron Dawson. This is Travis Johansson from Minneapolis. Uh, I had a question about song licensing, so I know... In your first episode, you used Creative Commons music, which was awesome, by the way. It's always cool to hear songs by artists I would never would have heard of. Um, that said, you do offer a promo code for the Song Freedom discount, uh, and had a question about that. In terms of podcasting, when you're using music for your intro or conclusion on multiple episodes, um, I feel on un- feel like under the current song freedom licensing agreement you would need to license that song for every podcast episode if is that correct um just appreciate the clarifying of that and thanks so much Ron. i'll see you in the create group bye okay so let me give you a quick primer on song licensing then address travis's question There are essentially two types of song licenses you're going to come across when selecting music for your videos and films. Royalty-free and rights-managed. In a nutshell, royalty-free licenses mean you buy once and you can use the song over and over as many times as you want. Rights-managed means you buy once and you can only use it once for that particular project. You need to buy another license for a different project. The higher quality music like that offered by our sponsor, Song Freedom, is rights-managed. So whenever you license a song from them, it can only be used in the project for which you licensed it. The same goes for podcasts. You'd use a standard basic license for a podcast, but it can only be used for the one episode. As of now, you cannot use it as a theme song that gets played in every episode of your show, not unless you paid a separate license for each episode. I know that's probably not great for most of you podcasters out there looking for that one cool theme song, but for what it's worth, Song Freedom and other music licensing sites don't control these parameters. The record labels do. As podcasts grow in popularity, licensing terms for them might change. If they do for Song Freedom, we'll definitely let you know on this show. In the meantime, whether you want a cool indie song for a short film or inspirational corporate video, or if you want a top 40 pop music tune for that first dance wedding video that you're working on, look no further than songfreedom.com radio. And if you use the offer code RADIO, you'll get a free standard go level license worth 30 bucks. That's songfreedom.com slash radio, offer code RADIO. Help support the show and give Song Freedom a visit. And speaking of support, thanks again to those of you who've supported us by leaving a rating, telling a friend, tweeting a tweet, or sending an email. If you have a question you'd like answered, or maybe a message you'd like to have read on the show, go to daredreamer.fm and use the send voicemail button
5: at the bottom of the page. where are the belts for this dress why is no one ready
2: here it's a tough call they're so different
0: that was a clip from david Frankel's 2006 comedy devil wears prada in that film, Meryl Streep gives you another brilliant and nuanced performance as fashion magazine editor Miranda Priestley. Her assistant, Andy, played by Anne Hathaway, in the role that I think it's safe to say helped skyrocket her career, is participating in a meeting where Miranda is selecting outfits for a big issue that's coming up. Andy makes a comment about the process that sets Miranda off.
1: Both those belts look exactly the same to me. You know, I'm still learning about this stuff and uh, this... Stuff. Oh,
5: okay, I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet, and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back, but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's not turquoise, it's not lapis, it's actually cerulean. You're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of Cerulean gowns. And then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed Cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then Cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin however that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs and it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff
0: now just replace the word cerulean with four minute long take symmetrical composition or unbroken tracking shot and this scene represents an excellent illustration of the influence the masters already have on your work you probably don't even know it
3: and maybe everyone will disagree but i just don't think anything we do is that new
0: that's the voice of elaine mcmillian sheldon director of the peabody award-winning interactive documentary hollow and co-host of the podcast she does Elaine's commentary on studying the masters echoes the words of Streep's Miranda Priestley.
3: I think culture has been recycled over and over and, you know, watching something like uh, Vernon, Florida by Aaron Morris is mm-hmm. like, you know, there's so much to glean from that. I mean, it's they represent themes that still exist today. I think the masters are incredibly important. I mean, Albert Maisel's and the Maisel brothers and uh, yeah, Errol Morris, and you're seeing you're seeing people actually copying styles that they don't even know were styles.
0: So maybe think you're too busy learning about the latest AK technology, or whether or not the government will allow for the legal use of commercial drones, to take time to study the masters. I mean, why in the world do you need to study the work of a bunch of dead guys who made films back when your grandmother thought e-length skirts were salacious? The truth is, my dear YouTube superstar wannabe, my Vimeo staff pick darling, that you are blithely unaware that the shots you think are so cool, the super long takes you took all afternoon to so diligently choreograph, even the contemporary auteurs you so passionately worship, were all influenced by those aforementioned dead guys. And perhaps... Just perhaps, if you were to take the time to learn how they did what they did, you just might discover something new. But that still leaves open the question, Ron, what about the issue of copying? I mean, wouldn't I just be the next filmmaker that Keen, Pill are yelling at in a movie theater because my use of mise-en-scene lacks visual consistency, or that my overuse of Dolly and tracking shots betray the fact that I spent all weekend going through film spotting's Max O'Fool's Marathon? Well, that's a fair question, dear listener. But fear not. If you recall, before we left for our break, my old film professor Zach Elisha breached that subject. Let's return to that conversation Hear what he had to say.
4: When you try to mimic a master, all of a sudden you're not going to be able to do it the same way he or she has done it. But you're going to put in something that is part of yours. And all of a sudden you're going to find out, well, you know, wait a second, huh? there's something here that just happened. And it is that, I think, ability to for you to be able to somehow get that revealed in the process. And again, as I mentioned before, filmmaking is an experiential art. Okay, you got to do it. You can't start, you know, fantasize about it or intellectualize it. It's got to be done. Um, and when you start doing it, you, you begin to look at it. So, well, this is how Scorsese did it. You know, he had this wonderful camera move on this. And how did it, what, what happened in that move? Why did I love it so much? And then eventually you, you've got to grow into your own. So the study of the master is, you know, part of that is, I would say, especially with, for a filmmaker, there's nothing wrong in initially copying in your films some of these things that you like. I compare that to a child learning how to speak. I mean, does a child start out with an alphabet and then they make up words using letters? No, they hear adults siblings, whatever it is, and they're saying certain words, and they're listening to them, and they get certain results. And that's copying, if you want to call it that. you know. I mean? And then all of a sudden, you find your voice.
0: I love that analogy, especially since it's, you know, when you think about the whole finding your voice thing, and you know, to take it next step further, you know, when a child is mimicking what they see their parents or their siblings doing, by nature of their own physical makeup, their voice is going to be different so the way they say things will sound different and I kind of see that similar to what you were saying how as you try to emulate or mimic the masters what they did your quote unquote makeup is going to make that mood different. I think Elaine Sheldon sums it up well.
3: I don't know. I mean, I guess you could go your whole life and never know about it and it's not going to hurt you. (laughs) But I just think it makes your work so much deeper. I'm I'm a research nerd. I mean, before I do any project, I'm reading every single book that's ever been written about that project or watching every movie. I'm just, I'm obsessed with context and understanding uh, what's been done before me because it does make your work richer. I think it gives you grounding on what you're doing that's different and how you could build upon what's happened in the past. And I think that when you have that context, it does make your work much richer and less flat than something that's not informed by what's come before.
0: And that, my dear filmmaking friends, is the truth, Ruth. Stay tuned after the credits for a preview of what's coming up in the next few episodes. Radio Film School is a production of Daredreamer FM. This episode was produced by me, with production help from Chris Husledge and Tommy Ferguson. Music was curated from freemusicarchive.org and Song Freedom. Links to artists and tracks are in the show notes. We're supported in part by Song Freedom. They currently have a holiday contest going on you should check out. Prizes include a Lensbaby, an iPad Pro, and the grand prize is a DJI quadcopter, and your choice of a Sony A7S II, a 5D Mark III, or a Nikon D810. You get multiple entries based on the kind of license you purchase. Every purchase increases your number of entries and your chance at some great prizes. A gold level license will give you three entries. So why don't you use the offer code radio and grab yourself a free one. You can follow me on Twitter at DareDreamerFM FM, and you can follow the show at radio film school. If you haven't already done so sign up for our free email list. And in addition to free resources, we send out every other week or so you'll get two free eBooks how to legally use film in your music or videos, and understanding frame rates and shutter speed. Sign up at daredreamer.fm. That's it for this week. Scenes from the next few episodes are coming up. Until next time, remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Coming up in the next few episodes of Radio Film School, we'll continue our women in filmmaking discussion. Is there anything women can be doing more of in this industry to to have a closer parity with men
3: right yeah i think it's a good question and it like the question in and of itself has good intentions but i think we have to stop asking it
0: oh why are you that
3: i just think we have spent a lot of time talking about why we're different why male and female mm-hmm. filmmakers are different and why we're And I just think, you know, did you see the New York Times thing where they featured all these women in Hollywood? Uh, Reed Murano, one of the cinematographers on there, she said something to the effect of we need to stop talking about numbers because that's when we're um, accepting defeat. We just need to go out and make stuff.
0: That was quite a bold statement from Elaine, but you'll be surprised at where my conversation with her goes. Also coming up, in celebration of the 20th anniversary of Toy Story, in the next short ends episode of the show, we look at the power of story and animation.
1: Which, and it's just irreverent. You know, it's like the crappiest, you know, hey, we're, we're you know, because the thing about them is they're master storytellers. Those guys are incredible.
0: If you're a long-time listener of the show, you'll recognize the voice of my good friend JD as we get into what turned into a deep and also hilarious discussion about South Park. What can we as storytellers learn from South Park and Pixar? Tune in next week to find out. And we'll check back in on the progress of my own personal documentary, Little Mixed Sunshine, part of my Mixed in America short film documentary series on biracial people. And there are a few scenes, like, based on the audio, the voiceover I have, that I don't have in the can. And there's one particular shot that I want to do. And honestly, Patrick, I'm kind of... There's a part of me that I doesn't even want to say it, because if I say it and I put it on air, that means... If it's not in the film, people are going to know that I didn't do it.
5: And you so gave it's... up on yourself,
0: Ron. You gave up on yourself. That's me talking to Still Motion lead storyteller, TEDx presenter, and Emmy award-winning filmmaker Patrick Moreau. I'm having a sort of mini filmmaker confessional consulting session as I ask Patrick's advice on how to tackle this one production problem I've been facing. So it's this shot where the the girl playing my daughter at the time is looking at... A giant television screen of Chris Rock's documentary so it's meant to be sort of like this dreamlike esoteric representation of her watching this movie and having it be this huge thing in her life and um, just having trouble finding the location and finding the time and it's like do I keep trying to get this shot or do I just say come up with something else like is it worth even trying to get When I have problems like that and with a situation like this, I try and focus on like the goal and then see if maybe there's another way to get there because sometimes we get so focused on the problem that we lose sight of the goal. Tune in to find out what advice Patrick gives me. We'll also hear his take on personal projects as part of one's business. And I think that you have to make them one in the same
1: and realize that as a small business or a small team, you're marketing yourself. You are the brand, your, your overall vision, and I think it comes down to trying to get clarity on what it is you do and why you do it, and then finding a story that is very connected
5: to that, which, mm-hmm. you know, is is just about taking the time to figure those things out, but
2: um, they are highly related.
0: Last and certainly not least, we're working on what might be a two-part special about a small independent movie coming out this month called Star Wars Episode Seven. So if you have a great Star Wars story about how it inspired you, or maybe your memory of seeing it for the first time, Send us a voicemail from our website at daredreamer.fm. We'd love to share your story on the show. So as you can see, lots of great stuff coming on the horizon. So mark your calendars, tell a friend, tweet a tweet, leave a review, and stay tuned.